0: I'm Eric from Alabama. And I'm Jerry from Boston, Massachusetts. It's another Sunday podcast. Eric, my friend. Hello there. Hello. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you? I am doing well. It's good. another Sunday. It is. And think down in Alabama, how is the weather doing here near the end of, uh, actually, we're at the end of January, if you can believe it. Wow. Uh, wow. Yeah. It feels like it was just Christmas. Yep.
1: Yep. It's moving fast. So, weather down here is okay. It's getting cold. It's cold right here now, uh, but I know that's nothing for Cold up y'all's way, uh, yeah, cold for you guys it's like seventy
0: mm, no <laughs> <laughs> no yeah. I'
1: just been dropping into the twenties at night,
0: yeah, that's probably what happens around winter. I was reading about the polar vortex, and uh I think I think we're gonna we're gonna see something we probably saw back around twenty fourteen twenty fifteen with the uh the cold that just dropping down it's gonna it's gonna be crazy hey, we have a we have a guest with us tonight. I thought it would be kind of fun to bring a topic on the show tonight that most of the people in the country have no idea what we're talking about. Candlepin bowling. Now, I know you saw it when you when you came up here to visit, and you were like uh, amazed. I mean, how would you describe your first saw when you walked in?
1: Well, you took me to the bowling alley. You may have even given me a a uh, disclaimer beforehand about the candle pin bowling. I think you told me like, you know, uh, this is what it is or whatever, but I walked in, I, I walked in there and I noticed, you know, a bowling alley, but the bowling pins were all like really skinny, like toilet paper tubes, you know, <laughs> uh, or,
0: or, or, or paper towel tubes. Absolute. You know? That's yeah, I'm absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, candle so pins I'm like, like they're like candles.
1: Yeah. I'm like, wait a minute. What is that? So then, then,
0: that's when I learned about candle pin bowling. So 45 years ago, I started as a junior bowler in this uh, in this bowling alley and still working there, primarily still working there uh, today. With we're, uh, with COVID and everything, there's a bunch of different things going on. But uh, So I haven't been there in a while. But I have known this, this guy for more than 40 years. So let's bring him on right now. Tom Giordano, Wakefield Bowler Drone. Hello there. Hi, Jerry. How are you?
2: Good, good, thank you.
0: Say hello to my uh, co-host, Eric, down in Alabama.
2: Eric, how are you? I'm doing good. How are you, Tom? Good, good. Those uh, those toilet paper tubes you're talking about. Uh, <laughs> they, they run about uh, 15 inches tall by yeah. uh, almost almost two and a quarter inches wide. <laughs> and that's that's why you probably uh, simulate them to a uh, toilet paper tube, you know? <laughs>
1: well, we have different kind of toilet paper down here in Alabama. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, th- I appreciate you taking the time to come on. I-, I thought it would be fun. Well, thank you. Yeah, I thank you. I thought it would be fun to have, have you come on. And we, we have listeners who are all over the country here, its California to Maine to Florida, they're everywhere. And a lot of folks don't know about Candlepin Bowling, so I thought it would be fun. And, and um, Eric and I talked about bringing you on to maybe tell us a little bit about Candlepin Bowling, what it is, the history, where it got started, and then uh, uh, kind of go from there. What do you think?
2: I'll, I'm ready for
0: you. All right. Tell us all about Candlepin Bowling.
2: As far as I've read, the biggest participation sport in the world in history. That's a little nugget for you. Candlepin pin is a variation of bowling. The most prominent is 10-pin bowling, and that's the one you see on uh, most of the country. The uh, big ball with the holes in it. And the pins, the fat looking pin, a deviation of that was invented in 1880 by a Justin P. White, who uh, was a bootmaker, worked in a boot factory. There was some junk that he had to get rid of in the factory and there were spindles. And he just happened to take them at the time and set them up in the same uh, format. Or same pattern as ten pins, and um, it became a game. You know, um, not very sophisticated at that point. Uh, the pin had, was probably a one-inch diameter, more like a broomstick that had to be stood up. You know, that went on. That went on for a while until he finally, uh, in 1893, teamed up with a guy named Jack. Uh, Morrissey and this guy Jack he's the one that finally standardized the game with the pin as we have it now uh, the 15 and three-quarter inch by two and a half inch tapered at the ends a bit and um, the ball is four and a half inches in diameter and it only weighs Two pounds, five ounces. Um, of course, no holes in it. It's held with the hand just with a, with a single grip. I think those are the two weirdest things about the game compared to 10 pins. He invented it in Massachusetts, actually, in Worcester. It's played on a, a 60-foot lane, 42-inch width. Uniquely, the pins are a foot apart on center, and they're set up in a triangle.
0: Socially distanced. <laughs> <laughs> that would yeah, be six feet. You ball.
2: Know. <laughs> and the uniqueness of this game. Now, picture after someone rolls the ball in 10 pin, the pin setter automatically comes down, sweeps any felled pins away, and then puts the pins back on their original spots. Unlike candlepin bowling, where Everything that is felled is playable. This is called wood. Once a pin falls over and it's on the pin deck, anything that is contacted on the pin deck is considered fair. And um, all these pins that are laying there are uh, playable, which makes for a dynamic, dynamic game. I mean, the, the way the pins bounce around, and I think this is what, Attracts people to this game because the variation of play is that um, anything can happen at any time. You know, um, in 10 pin, it's pretty straightforward. You know, you got your 7 10 split and you got your uh, uh, knockouts and stuff like that. But with candle pin, with all these different variations that can be created with the wood as we call it, on the pin deck. It's limitless as to, you know, what you can do on that pin deck with a with ball. In candlepin. Pin, you throw three balls as opposed to two. That was made infamous in a uh, episode of The Simpsons. Homer comes to Boston and he goes to a bowling alley. Um, actually, the facade of the bowling alley happens to be the facade of the Wakefield Bowler drome. uh the producers of the uh, The Simpsons the follyley Brothers are from the North Shore and here in Massachusetts and uh, they took pictures of our bowling establishment and used it in the uh, in the episode of The Simpsons. Homer is ecstatic because after two balls he's disappointed that he didn't get as many pins down as he would like, and the proprietor of the Bowler drome tells him well Homer. You got one more ball, and he can't believe it because here he is. He's got, <laughs> he's got three three bowling balls. Another thing that's very interesting, of course, to accommodate this, this game, they had to reinvent the machine to set up the pins. Of course, when the game was invented, everything was pin boys. Sitting, straddling two lanes, setting the pins up by hand on what was supposed to be the same spots every time, but nothing was standardized, you know, and of course uh, trying to get out of the way before the guy would throw the ball was a hazard. So sometimes the pins were set up haphazardly. Actually in 1917 during uh, world war one, they actually had pin girls. Bowling was so popular at the time That when uh, all the pinboys went off to war, uh, the the job, like other jobs in this country, uh, got dumped on women. And they were pin girls at the time. But uh, then in 1949, uh, a guy named Howard Dowd from Everett, Massachusetts, teamed up with uh, Lionel Barrow and they had a few prototypes of a machine that could set these pins up. From there, it just took off. The game just went nuts. The first bowling alley with pin setters was actually in Newburyport, Newburyport, Mass., in 1952, and it was owned by a guy named Paul Tendorf. It was a uh, mixed bag of pocket billiards, that was almost new at the time also because billiards was a game that didn't have holes in it in the beginning. It, so they had the pocket pool and they had um, cannel pin bowling in the same establishment. They called these places bowl a uh, sort of a fancy word for
0: bowling alley. I can remember uh, my dad telling me stories about being the pin boy uh, in the in in the facility that you own now, <clears throat> back in the day before when the first owner had it, and used to tell me stories about trying to straddle the the two lanes and pinned would be like flying up. He would go home every now and then with some bruises and some swollen legs and ankles and things like that, and you know, and and I and I think he told me stories about some of the, when the matches were over. They would send tips down. They'd be throwing like nickels and dimes. Correct. Like, he'd come home with like 30, 30 cents. He was like ecstatic.
2: Correct. Um, they. They would make 10 cents a string. When we opened our doors in uh, 1953, the proprietor had to charge 15 to 20 cents a string or maybe 30 cents a string and the pinboy got a dime. But that was as high as it went because then the pin setters came in.
1: I do some reenacting and I know one of the games that they used to play like back in the 1700s was tabletop nine pins. And it, I think it was kind of like that, where and it, it was played on a tabletop, and it was like a tavern game, a bar game, and uh, it was just nine pins set up, kind of similar to uh, to like a candle pin bowling, and uh, and you had a little tiny ball that you would roll across the the table and get it, you know. Sure. It, it was very similar to that. I was wondering if maybe so
2: many variations: skittles, five pin three pin, duck pin, uh, all these, these are all variations.
1: It sounds like y'all were a very central part of, of the community of Wakefield there. Was that a Massachusetts thing or was that only in Wakefield? Was that particular to Wakefield? or was
2: Well, the first lanes that were ever exhibited, the first automatic lanes that were ever exhibited, were set up in um, Wallam Park.
0: Oh, Willem yes. Park, Yeah, yes. I mean, it
2: was an amusement park, and they were actually set up, you know, in something that might house the bumper cars or something like that.
0: So, Candlepin Bowling is limited to a certain region. Where would folks find it? It's not all over the, not Basically, all over the country. it's
2: New England and the uh, Canadian Maritime Area. At one time, I think we had, oh, 198 establishments in the organization, which turns out to be thousands of lanes. But now um, I think the mass association is down. Oh, it's less than 20
0: establishments. And that was 198 just in Massachusetts? No, that was in New England. New England. Yeah. In New England. Um,
2: But then again, it didn't, you know, you might get a few in Vermont, New Hampshire, had more than Vermont, but no place had it like Massachusetts. I mean, oh, Lynn Mass at one time, I think they said had nine, nine bowling alleys. The last lane in Worcester just closed this past summer. Economics, economics, everything takes a toll. It's a very expensive game, meaning it's very expensive to play. Your square footage, okay? You can't make a lot of money on it for the square footage that it takes to play it. Bowling alleys get torn down for high rises because there's so much land um, in the uh, footprint of the bowling alley. And again, land is worth, worth a lot, you know. Um, right now, as far as we're concerned in Wakefield, we're just sort of like the keepers of the gate. We love doing what we're doing there. We still have a lot of community camaraderie. So that's one thing that keeps us going. And we're lucky enough to pay our bills and keep our head above water. Of course, that was until this COVID mess, you know. But God willing, and uh, if the creek don't rise, we'll get through this too. I'm hoping, again, with the season being the way it is, come September 2021, that we'll be able to um, get back to a full season of bowling and let people come back and participate in a game they truly love.
0: We were talking with Tom Giordano, proprietor of the Wakefield Bullodrome in Wakefield, Massachusetts, one of the few candlepin bowling establishments left in all of New England. So why is candlepin bowling only in New England?
2: Basically because of the popularity of it in uh, the 1800s. It actually watered off 10-pin. They were looking for... Vast areas where they could build these massive bowling alleys with bars and restaurants and everything. And that type of area wasn't available for them in New England, where in the cities where they wanted to get to the people, everything was so crowded, they didn't really have the area or the land was too expensive. To build their their massive complexes, but see in New England, you had uh, in this inner cities the way they were, it was more or less a blue collar game, and all these bowling alleys were in these little nooks and crannies that actually the ten pin proprietors didn't want to deal with, you know. So they were going way out, uh, you know, out of the state and finding places where they could build the bigger. Bigger bowling alleys, and that was basically it. And uh, and of course the popularity. I mean, the game just took off. I, I uh, mentioned how you can play the uh, wood on the pin deck and bounce the pins around. The action is phenomenal compared to compared to ten pin. You always everybody bowls a three hundred in ten pin. There has never ever been a three hundred game in candle pin. I think the highest game yeah I think the highest game ever bowled is maybe a 248 so much so that a perfect game in candlepin is considered when there are no pins left on the deck in other words I throw 3 balls I knock down all 10 pins and I repeat that 10 times That's considered a perfect game no no pins left standing okay. is considered a perfect game in uh pin, whereas a three hundred game is considered a perfect game in ten pin. And you know people have numerous three hundred patches on their bowling shirts because not that it's easy to do, but it's a more likely uh, occurrence than even getting a perfect game in in candlepin. the uh, the two forty eight. Is, wasn't even a perfect game a, a perfect game could be
0: as low as a hundred so essentially essentially it's 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 10 pins in every frame or what we call in candlepin bowling boxes it's 10 pins in every correct uh felled in in every frame for 10 frames so I've always wondered this um, where we have a smaller two and a half Roughly two and a half pound ball, smaller pins. Uh, why wouldn't something like this take off in in other parts of the country, or maybe even for folks who um, can't lift a ten or twelve or sixteen pound ball? Why Why do you think candlepin bowling? Why couldn't I go to Florida and open a candlepin lane and be successful down there? I would I would think it would be easier and enjoyable for for folks, especially you know a, a senior citizens uh, population. It,
2: basically, it's the exposure. You know, at at one time, they actually tried it. There is a Candlepin bowling alley in California. I forget where it is. They tried it in Florida a couple of times, which, to be honest with you, I don't understand why it's not more popular down there with all the snowbirds migrate from New England down to Florida. But I have to tell you, I have relatives from Long Island, New York, and they would come out here. And laugh. I mean, it was it was uh, uh, crazy. They would come to the bolodrome and they, they're taking pictures. I still have people come in today. They might not bowl, but they sure want to take a lot of pictures of it so they can show their friends when they get back to wherever they're going. But we just never had the national exposure that ten pin had. You know, right. I mean, they would set up in in convention centers and centers and have tournaments in las vegas and all that kind of stuff you know again it was just a regional regional type game actually did very well for being as regional as it was i mean there are other types of bowling you know you could do another story about duck pin bowling if you went down in jersey and maryland you know what i'm saying that's a and that's a regional game to them. But Canelton, Hawkins, back to the day of, uh, uh, again, just, you know, being able to put a bowling alley almost anywhere.
0: Tom, you're so full of information. This has been a great interview. I appreciate you taking the time. Before we wrap it up here, we're at the end of our time here. Eric, do you have any final questions?
1: Well, yeah. I mean, it seems like you said that there were only uh, 20 uh, Candlepin bowling places in y'all's association now and it and you were talking about how it's very much a cultural and kind of community thing and uh and it seems like y'all are uh really kind of like you said uh you know the keepers of the gate and kind of holding on to that uh tradition which i think is great and wonderful to to keep that and preserve that for future generations and uh
2: i don't feel like an owner as much as i feel like a curator you know i have people coming in um we haven't uh really modernized our establishment people use the term retro my wife and kids might say old you know (laughs) but um a lot of the people come in. Uh, we still have, we still have a lot of paneling and fiberglass around, very very fifties uh, and sixties looking, and that's one of the things that that's one of the things that draw the people in also. Yeah, and we actually keep score with a pencil and a paper.
0: That's true. You know that was my last comments here were uh, when folks come in. Especially in the summertime, when people are visiting New England and Massachusetts, and and have never seen candlepin bowling, we get a lot of uh, visitors that would come in. and I used to describe it as we're one step above pinboy, and it's it's great. I mean, we've seen pictures of 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 the facility in various um, publications, uh, internet publications, and in internet. I mean, I know we were in with it Life Magazine or Time Magazine or something one time, and, and so it's it's kind of an attraction, and it is sort of like a museum that people can still come in and actually and actually enjoy. Tom, this has been awesome. I, I know you weren't quite sure that you would be able to spend uh, a lot of time or have a lot of information, but uh, you have, as I as I knew you would, and that's, and I do appreciate you taking, taking well, thanks, the time. Well, thanks,
2: Jerry. Um, one thing I would like to get out there is anytime any of your listeners are in the uh, metropolitan Boston area, We're not far. I mean, uh, Massachusetts is not a big place. Just look us up. Wakefield, Massachusetts, Wakefield Bolodrome. Thank you.
0: We're gonna put the Wakefield Boladrome and the and the address and all the information in the description of this uh, podcast once this COVID pandemic thing has kind of gone by and things are back to normal. And you do and folks listening do visit Boston, please you know come to uh, come to Wakefield. It's a great little town. There's there's two beautiful lakes in town that you can walk around. There's there's a lot of other nice restaurants and things here in town as well. And of course you got to make a stop in to Wakefield Drome and say hello to to tom who is usually behind the desk more than more than i've ever been behind the desk so
2: i wish you were there more <laughs>
0: i can't listen i can't wait vaccinations okay. are coming i'll be back i miss i miss um i miss you and i miss everybody else who who has been down there but we'll get through this hopefully very 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 quickly that's tom giudano everybody wakefield boladrome in wakefield massachusetts again we'll put the Information on candlepin bowling and the Wakefield Bowl in the description of this podcast. Eric, it was awesome to have Tom come on and tell tell us about a sport that you would probably never heard of until you visited.
1: Yeah, well, I, I had seen it and uh, y'all had told me about it, and uh, but now I have a new appreciation for the sport. So that was really good. Thank you, Tom.
0: Alrighty, once again, thanks everyone who's listening. If you have any comments on today's show or any of our shows. Or you have an idea or want to be a part of our show, please send us an email. It's another Sunday podcast at gmail.com. It's another Sunday podcast at gmail.com. Eric, final word to you. You know what I'm going to say, Jerry.
1: Roll with the changes.
0: It's another Sunday podcast. It's produced by Eric and Jerry technical advisor Tom Bilodeau music composed and performed by Tom Blaze check out Tom Blaze's YouTube channel that's going to do it for this episode of It's Another Sunday Podcast thanks for listening